You're listening to the Try and Tackle podcast with your host, Province Sports Mobile Editor Patrick Johnston. Try and Tackle podcast, indeed. Patrick Johnston here, uh, downtown studios of the Vancouver Province. And uh, we're here to talk some rugby. Happy Thanksgiving to all our American listeners out there. I know there's a few. There's been some requests, hoping that we'll be coming back before the end of November. Here we are, uh, obviously now almost a month out from the end of the Rugby World Cup. We've got the beginning of the uh, men's and women's uh, World Seven Series kicking off. I don't even really know what the official title is anymore, but maybe we can figure that out. And uh, of course, because these topics all tie together and they all have to do with Canada and the U.S., as always, our good friend, Curtis Reed from This Is American Rugby is joining us. Curtis, happy Thanksgiving to you. Thank you. I wish I was in as glamorous a place as you, but I'm sitting on my tile bathroom floor. Well, let's be honest. I'm just sitting here working. It's a it's a Thursday night. It's my new schedule. I work Thursdays on the web desk. And, uh, you know, I've watched, we've had football on all day. We did watch the American stuff. You know, we do know what goes on down your way. Uh, but no turkey. I, I hope you're not too full. And the fact that you're on the bathroom floor uh, maybe, maybe for our listeners' listeners' sake, just reassure them that uh, it's nothing serious. No, no, it's just uh, child protection here. <laughs> uh, Curtis, when we last talked, uh, I guess it was you're kind of wrapping up uh, the Rugby World Cup, kind of looking at sort of the impacts on going forward on the game, and maybe some uh, some, some some sort of uh, you know future pro rugby and stuff. Pro rugby now, of course, is officially on its way, and they're looking for players and they're looking for coaches, and slowly but surely identifying teams. Uh, what, what, what's the latest that uh, you can tell us about the state of play in in a league that is supposed to ca- kick off next April, I believe? You know, this is the real deal. Um, obviously, I've gotten a lot of questions. They're right to ask. Um, is it for real? Is this another NRFL scenario? Is this another kind of situation, Tatham Sevens, you know, just launching off press releases without any action? But this is the real deal. Um, I don't think fans should expect to see some sort of even MLS level type product at the beginning in terms of presentation, stadium, supporters, TV options. This is very much a minor league sport. They're going to play in some smaller stadiums. They will play in some MLS stadiums from what I understand. Um, things are churning. And it's going to happen. I think they're going to have Canadian, U.S. players, some international players in the mix. It's going to be great for North America in general. It's uh, it is going to be great for North America in general. And I, I think you know from from the standpoint uh, of, of trying to launching a Canadian team, there's definitely uh, there's interest north of north of the border. Uh, I think. Uh, you know, I, maybe Rugby Canada is taking a more cautious approach than some would like. I certainly think maybe they are, but. Then again, there's there's lots to sort of sort out on that end, and, and a lot to be dealt with. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, I certainly know that there are sort of private interests in terms of what might happen, where things might go. We'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, definitely in terms of what North America needs, there is no doubt uh, on my mind that this is exactly what they need, and and that going forward, you know, we generally everybody should be on board with what they're trying to do and trying to make it happen. Um, you know, it has to be done right. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think this, you know, that in the end, this is also a business, and and so it's worth watching from that standpoint. But yeah, definitely the the vibe and the chatter and the the kind of uh, conception is very much uh, 
very much in the right direction, unlike, as you mentioned, the NRFL, which uh, oddly enough was asked about today because, of course, they, they've had combines, but as far as I can tell, they're basically nothing more than a, a bizarre recruiting uh, agency at this point. So anyway, it, it's cool to see pro rugby. I mean, yeah, they've, they've, what, they've launched confirmed Sacramento, confirmed Sac- uh, San Francisco. Uh, we believe they're going to Denver. Is that correct? Believe there's some East Coast stuff. Yeah. From what I understand, Denver is an option. Denver and Philadelphia are pretty solid. Um, they have, you know, agreements in place. I think it's just the final step. So that's with anything until pen hits paper, you know, it's up in the air. But it seems that Denver and Philadelphia are, are pretty set to go. And then there's a couple of other options they're looking at. They will get to six teams. Um as I mentioned, some will play in some smaller stadiums, some will play in larger stadiums. Well, one thing to note for listeners is that U.S. and Canadian players will both count as domestic players. So there won't be, you know, those five import players, three to five import players on each team. Those won't be Canadians. They'll be counted as domestic just to make the playing pool large enough, frankly. Um, you know, I think some details are slowly coming out there's not a ton but you you know from the conversations that i've had there's definitely a process in place they definitely have a game plan there's things they want to have happen um and i think it's going to be you know terrific it is worth watching you know like like any league we've ever seen launched in north america there are always challenges there's always big promises you know, you look at travel, how is that going to play out? Because that's always a huge problem. I mean, I was joking on, on Twitter the other day about, you know, Didier Drogba basically saying, listen, people, Europeans don't understand how hard MLS is just because of the travel. You're tired when you show up in the other uh, the other, te- uh, other team city and, you know, away teams lose simply because they're tired. You know, that that's going to be a factor in this league, no matter how small or big it is, that, you know, you're traveling across the country. You're, you're more than likely having as short a turnaround as possible just to save on costs. Uh, you know, so from from a player welfare perspective, you know, it's going to be a challenge. And and then, of course, there's the presentation of it, uh, you know, that, that you know, the, you know, Rugby Canada and USA Rugby both, I think, in general, have been more hit than miss lately. But there still are misses when it comes to putting things on and, and getting fans in the stands. And uh, and then then there's the sort of the, the media angle on it that. You know, as as uh, Doug Schoeninger told me, you know, in my interview when the league was announced, that you know they're not they're realistic. They're not going to land a TV huge TV contract right off the bat. You know that that realistically they're going to have to probably go with a streaming approach, and a streaming approach only really attracts people who are genuinely interested in it. It's not necessarily going to attract the casual viewer that you really need to get. And that more than anything will be the biggest challenge going forward. Is you know they'll they'll more than likely pull in interested hardcore support in their various regions. But for the, the league really to work, they have to grow quick. They have to grow and they have to grow quickly. And uh, that to me, that's what I'm going to be watching more than anything is how they're able to engage with people who aren't just uh, hardcore rugby fans. The, you know, depending where you are, the thousand, two thousand, three thousand people who will probably show up if the price is right and, and at least want to have a, a, a look in at, at what might be coming. Agreed. And I think the major concern from my point of view, from what I can see, is that everything will be run centrally out of New York. Um, I don't think from a a player's perspective that's as big of a deal because they're just adherent to the coaching staff. And I think there's been centralized models that have been proven to work in the United States, especially MLS. But 
Um, I think the centralization of a lot of the business procedures for individual teams could be problematic. I mean, what happens if you have one team that has slumping sales because, you know, let's say just pick Sacramento, the, the people running the stadium decide not really to put that much energy into it. They don't find it cost effective. You know, are you going to send somebody out there to try to revive the market? Um, I mean, that's the big question for me is whether they're going to struggle by not having a lot of people on the ground in place to, to kind of drive interest um, locally, but uh, that'll be to see. And, and just to touch on the travel point, I mean, for a lot of these teams, they're used to traveling already. You know, Denver regularly travels to San Diego and Sacramento and, and all those or Northern California for PRP play. Um, even back east, you have people traveling from New York to, to life. So I think uh, for international players, yeah, they're going to be shocked if you come from the ITM Cup or a lower division in England and come play pro rugby, you're going to be shocked. But for, for a lot of American players, um, travel like this is something that they're they're used to. In fact, in many ways, travel may be a step up because they're not flying day of the game in in and then day of the game out. So it'll be uh, interesting to see. The the last point I'll make is just thinking about uh, you know the best laid plans always end up being other things. <laughs> you know that uh, that they, that they have a, an image of of uh of what the league will be and what they want it to be but you know as you've already touched on things are going to have you know will change there's no doubt about that that you know the lesson from every league that's ever started in north america is that you put teams in several places and one of them probably isn't going to work and that you know you're going to have to have a plan b ready to go pretty quick and so that that will be the other big challenge on these guys is how they're able to sort of read read the tea leaves that are in front of them and and make decisions not necessarily on the fly but make intelligent rational decisions as they go along. Um, let's let's shift on. Uh, sevens is kicking off. We got women's, men's both going off in Dubai next week. Teams announced uh, this over the past week. I guess the the you know the women, the Canadian women anyway, were last week, and the American and Canadian men were this week. Uh, Canada, interestingly enough, and both the men and the women are taking uh, you know development teams. They're they're taking Maple Leafs teams to Dubai, and and certainly on the the men's side, this is something that Leon Middleton said almost from the get go last year was that he wanted to get more young players involved so they could see what it took that you know having a hardcore of players was great and fantastic but for the future viability of the program he couldn't just carry on with the same six seven guys and hoping to rotate in another you know five guys at every tournament um and so that that's been a rather bold move and there's some guys that have been involved you know a couple tournaments in a row now that you know last year there were always a couple guys you know in recent years there were always a couple guys that were in there uh, but most of those guys are gone. There's still a few younger guys involved. The, you know, I think of the likes of, uh, of, uh, of. Uh, I'm drawing a complete blank, but, uh, but uh, um, there's a couple guys. I'm drawing a complete blank on names at this point. But there's a couple young guys that are back in involved. They've written about it on the site, and and uh, it's going to be worth watching. Of course, on the senior side of it all, with with the men and with the women, John Tate, of course, his squad has already qualified for the Olympics. So this is about. You know, unfortunately, only four women's tournaments on the on the senior circuit this year, which you know I think is a complete and utter joke, to be perfectly frank. I understand why it's challenging to run tournaments in places, and yeah, a couple of the tournaments that were involved in the last couple of years did not draw very well. But at the same time, that's why you try in new places, and and I think it's a it is really this is on World Rugby for not having 
figured that out. That I think that's an embarrassing uh, blight on their part, especially leading into the world into the Olympics. But nonetheless, John Tate has four tournaments from which to basically decide what his dozen is going to be. He probably knows, a, you know, what the ten or eleven main players are going to be. He's looking at that twelfth spot. That's why he's brought all the kids to play in the Maple Leafs event in Dubai or in Dubai as well. Uh, so from the women, it's going to be interesting to watch. This is a big year for them. You know, I think if they have a good, strong season, they are gold medal contenders. If they don't, you know, they're in silver or bronze, but they certainly are on the verge of that. New Zealand, of course, remain the race leaders, and I, I think the Canadian women are going to be all about measuring themselves as much as they can, especially when they have their World Series stops. As for Middleton and his men, uh, you know, there, there's a big, big, huge event at the end of this season in June. We still haven't actually confirmed where, at least I haven't. Maybe you know better than me. Uh, Canada will be playing in that final Olympics tournament. More than likely will be up against uh, Samoa as the favorites. You know, that that there are a couple teams that could be X-Factors. Ireland, who I mentioned earlier this year, you know, they're not on the series. They will have some challenges assembling a team, but Ireland are going to be there. Uh, you look at Spain, who've played on the Sevens World Series before. You know, I think I think realistically, though, in the end, Canada and Samoa are going to be the two powerhouses. We'll see how Samoa have done. They've revamped their coaching staff. There's been lots of talk about having a stronger lineup this year, but political problems remain around that uh, that union, and we saw how badly things went at the Rugby World Cup as an example of that. So Canada has got ten tournaments to figure out how they're going to win this all and make Rio next summer. It's, John, I was talking to John Moonlight the other day, and you know, he said literally, "This is the beginning of it." You know, that literally, guys, let's get going. Let's make this happen. And, and they have a huge, big target in front of them. And I know they were really embarrassed about how things went last year in Dubai, that they weren't ready to start the season. There was a lot of turmoil. You know, Middleton wasn't in with the team until almost only a week before the, the Dubai event. He barely knew his players at that tournament a year ago. And, uh, you know, the players, I think, would admit that they weren't mentally or physically ready for the beginning of that season. And uh, it will, will be keen to you know start off on a different note, and and they're in a pool where they could make that happen. They've got Fiji, they've got Argentina, um, and they've got Japan. And Japan, you know, obviously were dumped off the uh, the series last year, but uh, it, it's going to be a big one. Canada really should. They beat Argentina this summer in the Pan Ams. Argentina is always uh, are going to be tough. Argentina beat them at the Halloween Sevens in Florida. Uh, an event that uh, I think on field the players quite enjoyed. Off field, you know, it was a new event. Maybe you can comment on that as well. Uh, but yeah, th- this is you know, th- th- if if you ever wanted a great start to the year to a season, this could be it for Canada for the Canadian men. Uh, Curtis, what about the Americans? I mean, they've already got the Olympics in their sights. Uh, what's Mike Friday working on this this season with his guys? You know, it's all about finding depth and reaching another level. Um, They've returned their core from last year, the core that won the London Sevens. Uh, the program is really riding a high at the moment. Um, but it's, you know, you never, you don't know what the next year is going to hold. You don't know who's going to have a long-term injury. You don't know who may decide that Sevens isn't for them. I don't know who at this point would say that, but, you know, um, the, it's all about finding depth. This tournament, you don't have Danny Barrett. Andrew Giratallo has has moved on to other things. Um, so you really need to find some depth to replace those guys. Um, you know, that's really the story of it. It's pretty simple. You know, it's getting the the guys like Carl and Isles up to another level, um, getting that consistency of, of being a potential top four team every time. 
Um, and then just finding those guys that can come in and contribute. And you mentioned the Halloween sevens. I mean, that was really the goal of, of that tournament for the U S was to build some depth. They submitted two teams. They had a, basically an A team and a B team, and they wanted to, to see how those guys did under, um, tough pressure. They didn't do so well, according to their own standards. Um, you know, with Canada and Argentina being the top two teams, deservedly so at the Halloween sevens. But so I think the U.S. will come out to Dubai focused and, and wanting to get over that uh, disappointment in in um, Tampa Bay. Um, you know, the U.S. has traditionally been a very slow starter on the series, uh, Dubai in particular. Um, so I think they're really wanting to get over that hump and get off to a great start and to build some depth and carry momentum throughout the year. It's pretty simple. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Duratalo, and I, I see that he actually basically mentioned tonight that he's done. Is that is that correct? He's retired from rugby? You know, it's uh, I've been digging on this one for a while. Um, I don't think his exit from the, the Sevens team is as clear-cut as some fans want to want to make it. There's some rumors that he might be playing with the Sunwolves. In Super Rugby, he has ties to, to Japan. Um, then he may be retired. I mean, he's, if you've ever met Andrew Jartel, he's kind of a man of mystery. So, uh, well, I met him briefly and I met him briefly in Scotland when uh, the Americans were there, of course, the same weekend as Canada. And I went to this, uh, press conference that, uh, they kind of had their arms twisted to have because it was officially announced. And then they tried to claim it wasn't officially announced. And then they officially made it happen. And Jortella was there and I, you know, I asked him a few things and, and, you know, he's a quiet guy, very, you know, respectful, easy guy to talk to in a press conference setting. But yeah, definitely, you know, your classic soft-spoken uh, uh, Pacific Islander. And, and uh, you know, if, if he really is done, that that is a huge loss for the Sevens team. That's a major loss. Be- be- I mean, his work at the breakdown, as we saw at the World Cup, but, you know, fans have been seeing for years on the World Series is phenomenal. I mean, his, his work at the breakdown, I don't know that it's a stretch to say maybe top five on the series. I, 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 I want to say this this much, Curtis. I think he was the best, if not uh, you know, only only second to say, like I don't know, Scott Curry. Uh, the guy, I, I also think, basically won the uh, Olympics qualification game against Canada. I think if Andrew Duratalo hadn't been playing in that game, I think Canada would have won it because of the fact that they had probably more skill per man, but they weren't as good at the breakdown, and that was simply because Andrew Duratalo was impossible to uh, knock off a ruck and was almost impossible to not turn the ball over to if he was at a ruck. He, I, I just the guy was a force last year and 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 was clearly uh, a master of his craft and and that's why I think he's such a huge loss. Yeah, and and even you know he's such a great ball carrier. He's one of the he's got that little bit of Fijian creativity to him where uh, a lot of other players maybe don't have that where he would flick that little offload and find a, find a streaking teammate. Uh, and that's going to be a big, big loss. And we'll see how they can uh, come back from that. And maybe we'll see if retirement sticks, who knows? Uh, what else to say about, you know, I mean, the, the women have a new coach, uh, Rick Suggett, obviously having stepped away and now in, in coaching back in Canada. Uh, what can we say about the American women who, uh, you know, I think have had some, they had some impressive moments last year. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but, uh, you know, overall, I think maybe struggle for consistency. Is that the best way to assess them? 
Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, I think they had definitely some some tournaments where they did not perform up to their peak, um, but they also had trouble reaching consistency, getting to that top level. You know, they made a final. Um, they've been in that top four a couple times, but they just couldn't do that consistently, and that's what cost them the top four place on the series last year. I think you're going to see the team improve under Jules McCoy this year. This isn't to take anything away from Rick Suggett, but um, you know, I think that the players really buy into what uh, Jules is, is having them learn and having them go through. Um, I also think that this year you're going to really see some maturation of some crossover projects. I think that uh, Alev Kelter will become one of the best players on the series. Um, she's a great playmaker. Her kicking is excellent. She's physically there. Uh, I think when you see a player like her, maybe even a Jessica Javale, who was in and out last year, um, kind of mature, the U.S. is going to be a very dangerous team. I don't know that they're going to be a gold medal contending team at the end of the year, but they're definitely, I think, will be in contention for a place on the podium. Uh, I'll just make a last couple of mentions about the, the Canadian men, just thinking about uh, the this group of players. I mean, we've got Phil Mack now starting his 11th season on the uh, Sevens World Series, which is an amazing feat if you think about it. Uh, you know, I mean, in his early years, he only played a couple of years, and, and for several of those seasons, Canada was not a full core member of the Sevens Series. So, you know, you had to take your tournaments where you could. But an amazing comeback for a guy who a year ago, I know that, you know, at this very tournament was seriously thinking about what the heck was going to come next and where would where did his future lie in rugby you know I think he had he was he wanted to come back he really believed he could come back but he also knew in the back of his mind that knee injuries especially at his age are tough things to come back to so great to see him back in the mix I know that he's you know he's obviously this is what he loves to do and and so to get at least one more crack at it and, and try to make the Olympics is going to be exciting you look at Nate here Yama Sean Duke John Moonlight uh, all guys that uh, Connor trainer Harry Jones, all guys that have matured together on the seven series. This is their year, and it's going to be interesting to see how that core group of players does in this year. Because I know, you know, Sean Duke is another guy whose guy has been already been thinking about what happens next, looking at uh, possibly, uh, you know, moving into medical school, something like that. You know, you know Nate Hirayama, you know a guy who's also interest, you know, thinking about the rest of his life. You look at Nanyak Dalla. Nanyak Dalla is playing for the Maple Leafs. Uh, it will be taken, I understand, as the thirteenth player to uh, Cape Town. Um, you know, good to see him back and didn't play a single sevens minute last year, although he was supposed to go to Wellington and then blew out his bicep in training uh, and playing touch, from what I understand. So it, it's it's an interesting group that's that's sort of. This is it. This is their season, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. They've got a few young guys. Obviously, Justin Douglas all of a sudden in his, I guess, his third season. You know, he's a veteran player. Lucas Hammond, similar story. He's coaching the, or captaining the Maple Leafs, pardon me. Pat Kay, who I thought on came on gangbusters late in the season last year. He's in the mix on the senior squad. Sean White is back involved, which I think is really great. He really started pulling, uh, putting some interesting stuff together. I think he's become a bit of a favorite of Liam Middleton's. Adam Zaruba. You know the guy. The guy started the year not really knowing what his role is going to be. Developed into their big power man. You know, we think about that try he scored running past James Rodwell. Uh, you know, another great forward in the sevens game. You know, beating England on the, the opening night in Las Vegas. You and I were both there. 
you know, it, it's an interesting year for the Canadians, and you know they're really in sync with their coach, and they really like their coach. It's been this is a a, a group of players, I think, that to their credit, you know, this is they they had a bit of a shocking changeover in their coaching situation. They really were huge fans of Garrett John. But, uh, you know, Liam Middleton came in and, and quickly won over uh, their belief. And, and that's a credit, I think, to these players that, that they're saying, listen, uh, the coach is the boss and, and we believe in what he wants us to do. And so it'll be interesting to see how things play out because they did also change their style last year. It'll be interesting to see how they stick with that style. Um, I'll be speaking with Middleton on Friday morning. So by the time people read this, they may have already read a story that I've done with him. We'll see what happens, but uh, it's definitely interesting days for Canada. I think they're, I think I have a feeling that you know that they're ready to make a huge stamp and and that they could be uh, a surprise package on the series this year. Uh, I know that there's a lot of interesting talent out there. I mean, you look at the players that the New Zealand left behind. You know, Sonny Bill Williams, Liam Messam, guys that have been stars for the All Blacks are playing sevens like holy smokes you realize that brian habana is going to be available for the south africans the the list goes on that england's got to figure out how they're going to manage this gb sevens thing how do the uh how do the the australians handle losing john garrett john you know in a bit of a shocker himself again you know he's gone back to wales uh left for family reasons he says and you know, how do they handle things? Are the Samoans back? The Fijians, who had an unbelievable season that last year, what do they do next? I'm fascinated to see how Ben Ryan handles all that because, of course, there's lots of guys interested in playing Olympics, but there's also, as always, lots of guys interested in chasing money elsewhere. Um, you know, interestingly enough, they had a, they've they've had to actually remove a player from their squad because it turns out he played for Sri Lanka, and uh, you know they've got to actually clarify his eligibility because potentially he could switch back to Fiji, but they've got to make sure they've got that right. You know, that there's so many interesting storylines on the top end, and then you look in the middle: Canada, Argentina, uh, you know, the Americans. The Americans have a lot to prove themselves, even if they're already in. You know that they want to show they're the real deal. Their coach Kenya is always a fascinating uh, dynamic there with uh, with how they deal with their rugby union. I see there's a couple players that have stayed behind because they've got school exams. Whoever knows what that actually means. Uh, it, it's going to be an exciting season. I'm really really looking forward to it. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on before I go, and and I'm kind of curious to hear what you think. Uh, I also spoke with John Moonlight a little bit about this World Athletes Council, and my apologies, folks. I know I mentioned I think I was going to write something about it, but uh, it'll be coming out soon. I'm sitting here looking at my notes, and there's lots of interesting stuff that's being looked at. And I think more than anything that uh, Moonlight, I think, he he was cautiously optimistic about it. He's one of the Sevens representatives. Him and England's Charlie Hayter are there. And, uh, you know, as he said, we're trying to work with World Rugby to be more proactive. The feeling was that generally they've always had to react to what World Rugby wanted to do, and you know, he pointed at one, you know, pointed out to one point that there was a PNC plan to play four games in two weeks, and you know, the International Rugby Players Association, which is basically the World Players Union, stepped up and said, "No, that's not acceptable. You can't do that." And uh, they kind of figured things out, and they said, "Listen, we want all these guys to play. We want things to happen. We want players to be supported. You guys talk about playing support, player support." There's a lot of problems to deal with in the game. There's a lot of people pretending to be agents who maybe shouldn't be. Uh, there's a lot of player recruitment challenges. Uh, there, there's all kinds of, of uh, things to be looked at. There's the question of a, of a global season. Um, you know, that there are agreements in place that only run through 2019 in terms of how, uh, you know, seasons are aligned in terms of how, 
you know, teams are running themselves, that kind of thing. There's a lot coming down the pipe. It was an interesting conversation with John, and and like I said, I'm going to have a little more written up. But uh, to me, it, it was good to hear because it's a question that I've been having in the back of my mind. What is rugby going to look like going forward? And I think there's always been some doubts about, uh, you know, the health of the game, even though that, you know, people put on a brave face and, and certainly with the tier two countries where they're at and, you look at what some of the things the Americans are trying to do, and I know there were meetings this week in LA uh, talking about tier two, you know, issues with world rugby. There's lots to talk about, and you know, I I, I try to stay optimistic on things. Uh, in the end, it's going to be you know put up or shut up time, I guess. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we're here 20 years on from professionalization, and they're still trying to figure it all out. You know, I think. Uh, They'll probably be talking another 20 years from now with some more <laughs> yeah. issues that they have to sort out. Yeah. Uh, let's let's finish up. Uh, you know, interestingly, go back 20 years. We can talk about Jonah Luma. Jonah Luma, of course, passed away last week. He'd been fighting kidney problems for most of his life, it turned out. And uh, they finally, unfortunately, took him away from us. And uh, he was waiting for his second kidney transplant. He'd been just days before in Dubai, had flown home, I guess. And unfortunately... Uh, met his maker and and uh, I, I just was curious to hear what your thoughts are I mean I, I've shared mine I read a li- wrote a little bit about my own and what people were saying to me and just the true the true impact he really did have on on the non-rugby marketplace in Canada anyway this was a guy that people kind of knew even if they didn't know his name or they didn't know rugby uh and I, I am certainly sad to see him go you know he had to, he had to retire young uh, no one ever likes to see that uh, but in the end, you know, he became such an impressive force, and, and in a way, you wonder if rugby, you know, was did rugby become professional, becoming him? I don't think so, but it's certainly he he picked, you know, that he was at exactly the right time to burst on into international stardom. And in many ways, uh, you know, if rugby hadn't turned professional and say he'd become a rugby league player, I'm not sure we would have known who who he was quite as well as we ended up uh, seeing him. Curious about your thoughts, uh, your reflections, perhaps, uh, from the American perspective. You know, I'm sure that I'm no different than many other young people that get into rugby, but um, especially now in the age of YouTube, you, you, you'd look at rugby, and even if you didn't know anybody's name, not even Jonah Lomu's name, you would know who he was because you would see that big guy running over people and scoring tries and you knew it was exciting and you knew you loved it. And you, from there you just started to grow and love the sport more. You learn Jonah Lomu's name and then it just develops from there. Um, you know, for a lot of people, I think especially here in America, he was the intro to rugby. Um, and I think he embodied everything that rugby is about. He embodied, you know, testing yourself, overcoming challenges and being off the field, a, a class act. I mean, hardly a classier guy in the world than Jonah Lomu. Um, you know, what a great representative for rugby, and, and he'll be sorely missed. Well uh, well said, Curtis. Thanks, as always, for joining us, folks. Uh, I think we're kind of hoping to have a, a, a direct preview of Dubai next, uh, next week, so tune back in then. Uh, Curtis, as always, thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, folks, you can find Curtis on Twitter at This Is Amer Rugby. As always, he's on Facebook, facebook.com slash This Is American Rugby. Or is it This Is Amer Rugby? I always get that one wrong. 
Yep, it's This is American Rugby. Or just search for This is American Rugby. I am, of course, uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash try and tackle. You can find me on Twitter at Rising Action. Lots going on there beyond the world of rugby for me. Uh, you can also find me, of course, at provinceforce.com. You know, now that Sevens is back, there'll be, you know, a couple, at least a couple things a week for me and plenty more there, like I said, on the fa- on Facebook. And, uh, folks, as always, provinceforce.com slash radio is where you can find all our podcasts. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to the Province Sports Try and Tackle podcast with your host, Province Sports Mobile Editor Patrick Johnston. Find this and other great sports podcasts in iTunes or subscribe to using your favorite podcast app by clicking the links available on the provincepodcasts.com.